Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Cool, we are recording. Cool, welcome to another episode of Trail and Error. Um, this is post arc, post arc hundred. Um, you sound a bit tired there, Jay, with that introduction. <laughs> I wonder why that is. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, not our normal, well, not my normal bubbly self, I guess. Um, no, um, yeah, a little bit fatigued for some reason. Yeah. All right. So we're uh, recording on the Monday after the week, the arc of attrition weekend, which started at noon on Friday and then finished at varying times, depending on when you got through on the Saturday. Um, so it's not long after at all. We're like, whatever, 36 hours or something like that. Two days, 36 hours, something like that. Um, so we're both feeling it a little bit, aren't we? We were just saying before recording. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm living on espresso this morning. It's, uh, it's got me this far. <laughs> More caffeine. Um, I'm sure that's what yeah, your body so needs. Yeah, so we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's what it's got used to now. It's yeah. just take some more. Caffeine fuel, um, the future. Mate. <laughs> Although, I, yeah, I did have to, well, we'll get into it, but I did have to pull up off the, the caffeine for a bit because I was just ha- dealing with levels of acidity in my stomach that weren't good. Um, something was, was not happy at some point, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sat here like an old, old man. I've got a blanket wrapped around my legs. Um yeah, just dealing with with the after effects. But let's get into how we how we both did. Um, so I'm sure most people that are listening to this have, have kind of heard the previous ones, or at least know of the arc. And so, a hundred miles of, of coast path um, in January in Cornwall. So it sounds like a great idea. Um, you did really, really well. Uh, you did amazingly well, mate. Um, how are you feeling? You 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 placed second. And you broke the existing course record, but I should add that somebody broke the course record a bit more than you did. So you, you still got a fastest time, but somebody got faster. Yeah, if that's, that's the right. way of putting it. I don't know. Um, thanks, Jay. Well, um, yeah, it, it, um, I, well, yeah. What, the way I'm kind of marketing it is I've ran the second fastest arc time ever. That's the uh, that's the kind of spin that I'm putting on this. <laughs> since I didn't get the course That's record because someone it. else got it before me. Um, but yeah, I, I ran a good race, had a really good time and um, everything sort of went to plan and the plan, everything, I stuck to the plan more or less, ran a little bit faster than the plan actually. And um, it was uh, yeah, great results. So I finished in, actually I don't know the official time, it's 20 hours one minute and something seconds, 50 seconds, something like that. I think I heard 45 seconds. 45 seconds right so a minute and 45 over the 20 hour mark which um it's been suggested i should be um upset about but i'm not at all really um i'm happy to just get anywhere near that number you can't yeah i mean when it gets down to digits like that um yeah i it would be it would it would ruin the 20 hours wouldn't it to be upset about yeah. the one minute 45 yeah so yeah. um yeah and you say it went to plan but it, it 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 definitely didn't for you at the start i know you had craig our friends one of his uh boys unfortunately tested for, for covid he's doing well but um yeah so you lost half of your crew before the race even started yeah um so i was driving down to porth tower to the race hq which is the end of the race um for anyone not familiar with the arc um where for registration and kit check and everything and on the way down, I guess this is three hours before the race starts or thereabouts, get a phone call from Craig, who's 
he's my best mate and he's crewed me on this race before um and he crewed with you um for my track 24 as well um so you know very reliable you- anyway well i say very reliable uh, <laughs> but no yeah <laughs> uh, it, unfortunately got covid in the house lost the childcare that was needed in order to get out and crew me for the evening and night um so that left me without crew for the night now i already had my mum lined up to crew for the first five six hours of the race um basically up until the evening but she couldn't crew beyond that um because she was also crewing my brother jamie who was running the 50 um, mile distance the next day and um I basically just had to have an awkward conversation with her. Despite, I got, by the way, I got a lot of a lot of offers to jump in and for people who wanted who offered to jump in and crew for me um, there and then. But and, and thank you for those offers. But it's a tough one because you know when you plan these things to the letter, um, and you know even with sort of you know well trusted people who have experience doing this kind of thing, it's a bit. Uh, I find it a bit risky just throwing in a new sort of member of the team at the last minute there. And expecting them to sort of turn up to, you know, really some of the most remote parts of the country in the middle of the night to find a single runner who may be in an extremely bad mood or in a bad way or, you know, need a particular type of care. Um, it, 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 it could just throw a massive spanner into the works. So I really wanted to avoid having to use anyone who I didn't know very well. Um, so anyway, I managed to convince my mom to do the whole thing, basically. And due to other events that unfolded, she ended up not, she didn't end up crewing Jamie as well, but she didn't need to be crewing Jamie um, quite so. Um, uh, she had support doing that from Will Harper Penrose. So it, 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 um, it all kind of worked out well in the end. And also, um, Steve Wyatt stepped up too to, to help, um, I think, he, well, he wasn't running this year. He didn't start. He, you know, he decided he wasn't fit enough to compete in the race. This is the guy that's, that's won it or joint won it, I think, four times, five times. Four and, times um, out of the five he's run it. Yeah. And um, he he just came over to me uh, at registration because he'd heard, I think from you, actually, what was going on. And um, he said, you know, I've, I can I can probably help out. And I was like, well, actually, if you're going to get anyone crewing you for this race, it's probably the guy that knows it better than anyone. Um, it's such a bad idea. And I... I just sort of said to him, look, thanks for the offer. Gave him my mum's number so they could t- like check in with each other. And um, I don't know. I don't know if my mum really necessarily needed him, um, but he was there. Um, I must have seen him. Well, he's no drama, Steve, is he? Yeah. That's the thing. There's no dramas yeah. involved at all. He's just going to step up and cut right to the chase and tell you what you need. Yeah. And, and like you say, what a better resource to, to have. I don't think there is. Yeah. Yeah. So I must have seen Steve. I mean, I think I had maybe 12 crew stops. And I think I probably saw Steve uh, about eight times. I saw him at points where my mum wasn't even there. Um, of quite a few of those, actually. Um, so he was very much a presence for me on the race. And so I'm really grateful for that. Um, and there's nothing like getting advice from someone who knows a race like that so well. And he was giving me advice on the, the, the front runners who I was chasing down. He was giving me sort of tactical advice. He was Pep talking me before going into particularly tricky sections, um, really kind of just saying all the things that you probably should or need to hear at these various points if you are racing this race. So, um, yeah, I'm super grateful for that. And, I mean, Lloyd was was there for a lot of it as well, filming from Run for Adventure, so it also sort of gave a lot of advice and kind words. So, um, and, and I mean, everyone, you know, all the people on this race, it's, it's amazing atmosphere and, and all, the, all the staff and crew and angels and everything. It's, you just, just see hundreds of people as you go around who have such nice things to say and encouraging words. And I think it's one of the best, one of the great things about running these races is um, you get to feel, you feel so great, you know, as so you, you move through all these beautiful places and, and see these beautiful people saying beautiful things to you. <laughs> it's... Um... It is. It's a special race. So many people um, have commented as well on how it's the friendliest ultra they've ever done, mm. um, while at the same time being the most brutal thing they've ever done. It's, <laughs> it's a nice <laughs> set of opposites, really, uh, that, that highlight highlight a lot of it. Um, it brings out the best, I think, in, yeah. in so many people. So it's, um, it's a fantastic t- thing. tell us a bit about your race, Jay, because this is the third time that you have done the arc, or third, sorry, third time you've attempted the arc. Um, mm-hmm. The last two times, 
you've you know we've talked about it you've you know you've stopped around the midway point usually down to nutrition and issues and or tired legs or whatever um what happened this time well it was you know it didn't go to plan i i, I finished it <laughs> <laughs> oh. um yeah what an uh so um oh man um yeah just it was a long long day out i think 30 four hours nearly 35 hours 34 51 or something like that um just a very very long day um i i used up all my legs to get to st ives i i had little little rolling um gateways that i wanted to get through if you like goals that i wanted to achieve all the way through just kept all the distances small didn't talk about anything big i kept um i had a great crew um my wife um one of her longest friends, Lou. Um, I was going to ask you about your crew, actually. Did they stick with you the whole time or did they sort of tag team it in and out? Because obviously it's a long day for crew as well. No, there are three of them and we all, you know, in the van. And and, and that's something I'm going to say, actually, because this has come time and time again. Um, if you're attempting the arc um, and you don't own a van, rent a van for the weekend. It's cheaper than running it twice. Um, and it will be brilliant for your crew and brilliant for you, for you, for you to kind of get out of the wind sometimes as well in these remote places. Uh, the van was a godsend. So I had three crew in the van and they just did a, I, I wanted three because I just wanted to know that they were, I knew I was going to be out for a long time and I wanted to know that they were safe. You know, we do this for fun. The last thing I would do, uh, it'd be awful if something bad happened. So I just wanted three crews that I knew um, they were all going to be rested enough to, to drive, to drive and things like that. And it's, mm. it's some horrible lanes and stuff out there. It's, it's not great driving conditions when you're tired. So that was kind of the rationale there. So my best so friend, they, so, Martin. So they all stayed out on the road, but they were taking it in turn sleeping. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I had longer gaps between seeing them than you did. Mm. Um, so some of my gaps were sort of three and four hours, well, no, two and three hours, I think. So they, they, you know, I've seen numerous pictures over the last day of them in, in restaurants and pubs. And <laughs> Sounds like a great phase. They have a great time. Yeah. Well, when I did Oman, they were pictures of them by the pool, drinking, you know, again, drinking coffee, eating chocolate. So they're all up for Chamonix already. They're all like, yeah, fantastic. Let's go have a party while Jay runs around the mountain. Um, so that's my crew. So they're super trusted. They know me inside out and they can kick my ass when they need to. Um, so, yeah, I was out for a, a, a long time, just rolling between the different points. When I knew I had to, obviously, I, I, I knew I had to keep moving. But yeah, just keep the goals small. Um, I didn't really want them to talk about anything more than five, 10 miles away, not even on my radar. And then we just rolled it and rolled it and rolled it. Keep moving the goalposts in the toughest section, of course. Um, I knew I wanted to get to Pendine with enough of um, a healthy uh, time bank so that I could deal with uh, Pendine to St. Ives, which is just brutal brutal we, we talked about it many times but it is so horrible and um i knew i needed some time in the bank to, to deal with that and not feel the pressure of it i didn't want to start moving at a pace that i maybe couldn't and make a mistake because there's you know i've seen plenty of it, uh, pictures of x-rays and things over this weekend from people falling black eyes uh, one chap dislocated his finger um lots of uh, trips scrapes and falls for all of us so I knew I needed some time to cover that terrain safely, but but still at a good speed. So um, yeah, got into St. Ives and then um, I'll be honest, I couldn't, I just couldn't run. I could move, but I couldn't run my legs. Every time I tried to run, I'd maybe get 20 seconds in and then my knees felt like they were going to buckle. So I think I just gave everything to get to St. Ives. And hopefully it wasn't a mental thing. I really don't think my legs could could run anymore. Um, they could certainly move though. So I just, I'm not going to say death march because I think that does a disservice to it. I was, I was still mentally quite happy with everything. Um, but I just had to walk as fast as I could the last 20 miles. So um, yeah, still had a great day. More than a day. Well, a day and a half, yeah. <laughs> as, as... Don't undersell it, Jay. It was a full day and a half. Well, I, I think um, I had an interview at the end and, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I think in my delirious state, I was showing um, <laughs> Steve Cousins from Film My Run. I think I was showing him how to use ring poles. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know why I was doing that. Sounds... Um, 
I think it was the last wow. thing that happened in my mind was was you know Sally's Bottom and the Granite Steps of Hell, and um, as soon as I'd got through those, I think the only thing on my mind was uh, I was happy I'd had managed to do it with the poles because my legs were gone, I, everything was upper body. I was just lifting myself up and down the steps with poles. Sally's Bottom, they, those last four big climbs around Portreath um, are some of the worst bits of the course, I think. And you want to talk about danger, um, descending and climb, well, descending more than climbing. Um, it, those when you, you know, have 95 miles under your belt. And um, I mean, it, for me, it was dark when I did it. For you, I guess it was dark as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sketchy. Going down some of those climbs um, when you're on tired legs is is not cool. It was really weird covering that last twenty. It was first. It changed my perspective of, of the of the the distance and the and the terrain because I'm so used to covering. I mean, you know, shout out to Danny Fox, Colin Bath, all those guys. We normally run those those sections at night in the winter. We didn't this year for some reason. But um, I'm used to covering that distance at night on those on that terrain. But with, like you say, with the, the legs shot and all that time in the bank, um, it just felt like a completely different place. You know, it was taking, obviously because I was walking, it was taking so long to get there. Mm. I mean, the North Cliffs just went on forever. And this poor lady that came up alongside me running the 50. And of course, we we're running on the flat on the North Cliffs. And she said, uh, I said, only five miles to go, trying to perk her up a little bit. And she went, oh, I know I can do this for another five miles. I went, oh, no, there's, there's, some, there's some hills as well. And she went, it's not like this all the way to the end. I was like, no. Mm. And, and then I left it there. I thought, I can't describe them anymore because it's going to break her mind. Uh, Maybe yours as well. this for herself. <laughs> <laughs> so were you... Just park uh, it till you get there. In that last 20 miles? Oh, well, in fact, for, throughout the race, I mean, were you, in, were you in groups? Were you on your own? What, sort of, what would be the... If we were going to do a pie chart of... Um, your friendships uh, throughout Ooh. this race, what would it look like? Well, I started off with a, a good group, um, Toby Lowe, um, Colin Bath, a, a few first timers, it sounded like as well, just chatting along. Uh, Stuart Thompson, shout out to him, did a fantastic result as well this year. Um, got his buckles, gold buckle. And um, yeah, it was um, a little group of us through to Kennex Sands. So that's about five or six miles in. And I just felt at that moment, um, I needed to I needed to slow it down for me. Um, we didn't talk about it in the last episode, but I had COVID three weeks ago, or early January, and I and I'm, I was in the back of my mind, it was just rolling around that, you know, um, maybe the fatigue from that, because I definitely felt fatigue afterwards. Um, that had affected me, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to have it in my consciousness does that make sense mm. um i didn't want to give myself an out that's probably the easiest way yeah. of putting it so um i parked all that and i just thought do you know what just you have to you have to run within your limits today just you wanted a sub 30 but it felt within five miles that that wasn't going to happen but i knew what i knew the rest of the race plan so it's just dialing it back a little bit and then so i lost the group then um and then i just drifted through different people as you do all the way all the way through um I chatted to, to so many nice people. Um, I was tracking you in the last sort of St. Ives bit and it looked like most of that you were on your own. Yeah, it was a long, um, it was a long draw, drawing to the finish. Um, mm. But you see so many folks along the way and, and you know, um, I had people like Tracy Waite and Peter coming out saying hello all the time. Mm. Um, everyone you saw, you know, makes you, even if you don't know them, they, they make you feel like... Um, you know, you're, you're part of that little community for that time. And, and it feels like you're, um, you're their best friend almost, you know? Uh, and so many, Oh, I have to say, yeah. So many people said, um, how much they enjoy the podcast. So thanks for listening people. And, and, and thank you for, um, for saying hi. It meant a lot. Um, really picked my spirits up. Just, just chatting to so many people who, who said nice things. So, um, yeah, that was lovely. Yeah, so yeah. Um, although well. on yeah. my own, not on my own. Yeah. Um, and how about you? You must have been on your Jack Jones for, for quite a long time. You know, yeah. A whole day. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I spent probably after the sort of initial, your initial bit where everyone's kind of together. Um, I guess I was on my own. So what, so what happened from, from my race standpoint was we, we, um, we all set off and a lot of the, 
there was about half a dozen runners who were sort of seeded or considered to be, um, you know, likely to do well. Did the, did, did didn't take the first turning out of Coverack, and they were so far ahead that no one could even shout to them to um, to come back. So you know, you, you Hang run. On, da- so where did they go wrong? You run down. You run along the sort of harbour front there, and then yeah. you take a sharp right that cuts back up the hill. Um, oh, did they go down to the little style? Yeah, so they went right down the bottom, <sighs> and then obviously. I guess it probably took them 30 seconds to realize the error of their ways since no one was following and they turned back and came back, turned around and came back up. So I actually ended up leading the race for about two or three <laughs> miles from the start um, and thinking to myself, right, don't get ahead of yourself. Um, this, you know, we've got a plan here and a, and a pacing strategy and it, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in the lead at the moment, we're, you know, we're two miles in. Anyway, um, as expected, they inevitably caught up. So, um, uh, Mark Derbyshire, um, Ellis Bland. Ellis Bland overtook me first, and I later found out that he had been basically sprint overtaking people to get back up to the front of the pack. This was Mark told me this actually. Um, you know, quite, quite, you probably got overtaken by him at that point. Um, and um, he he went he, he him Mark um, uh, Rob who, who I ran with later on. Um, Dave, they, they all overtook me, and to be honest, I, I just felt that they were going at an incredible pace for the start of this race. You know, um, Ellis particularly was running up everything, and um, you know, I was like, "Wow!" Well, you know, I, a part of me was like, "Well, you know, there goes my chance of of uh, podiuming in this race because I can't compete with that if that's the sort of pace that you know these these great runners are going to be putting down." Um, and it would have been very easy, I think, for me to say, "Okay, I need to need to change strategy here if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do well in this race. You know, I need to keep up with them. I can't let them get too far away." Um, but I didn't. I just stuck with the plan, and um, yeah, that meant I was on my own for quite a bit. I was sort of, I guess, at the back of the leading pack, um, and that pack was sort of spreading out. You know, I was in I was in uh, fifth or sixth, fifth fifth place, I think, for probably three hours. Um, and that changed when we got to Porth Levin and, um, I could see I'd been closing in on Ellis over that Lou Bar. It's Lou Bar, isn't it? Near, um, Helston, right? The bit, sand bit. Low, low Bar, yeah. Low Bar. Um, and I could see I was closing in on him. I didn't, actually, I didn't know it was him. I it was new. It was one, I couldn't tell who it was from a distance. Anyway, when I got to him, it was, it turned out that he was having a really tough time breathing. Um, I, I don't know what, what exactly was going on there, but he ended up pulling out Paul Slevin. And um, I, on the other hand, was feeling great. Um, you know, I felt like I'd warmed up. Um, I, I honestly had a pretty bad, not a great time of it through that cover-up um, Cadgeworth section. I think we always underestimate how bad that bit is. And I was chatting to Lloyd whilst running, actually. Um, I said, God, it's bad that bit. And he's, he's, he, he called it right. It's because we never run it. No one ever goes down there and runs. Um, like we just don't know it at all. It's only when you're doing the arc that you actually end up down there because it's bloody miles away from anywhere. And the first four miles are treacherous. Yeah, yeah, it's treacherous. And it's not especially pretty, I don't think. I mean, there's other, the whole coast path's pretty, but you know, it's not, it's not like you'd have any great reason to go down there and run it. So you sort of underestimate it. And because you've got fresh legs, I guess you just get through it. But it's grueling and it's, it's slow and you don't feel like you're making much headway. And yet you're getting, you know, you're feeling it in your legs a little bit. I was feeling it in my legs. And I'm, I, I swear, I had those sort of brief flutters that everyone gets in races of like, right, you know, how badly will people think of me if I DNF at this point? <laughs> you know, I've got the excuse of the crew mishap. Is it too soon? <laughs> yeah, I've got, the, I've got the excuse of the crew mishap. I can use that as leverage for my, you know, as a justification for my DNF. You know, the crew thing just screwed my head. It's not for me today kind of thing. Bow out. No, no one will think too badly of me, right? But anyway, I, <laughs> you know, things changed and the running got better. And as a result, my, my mental space got better. So, um... Yeah, I, I I was sort of on my own. <clears throat> Eventually, after Porth Levin, after Rinty, um, not far out of Marazion, I I caught up with Dave, who I forget Dave's name at the moment, but he ultimately placed third, and he's the best mate of Mark Derbyshire, who won the race. So those ah. two are best buddies. Yeah, 
And um, I ran with Dave for probably about half an hour or 40 minutes, although not necessarily together because I had a shoe change at Mara Zion and he, he sort of got ahead and then I caught him back up. And then we departed at um, Penzance because he was, he, he was um, sort of self-supported. He had a drop bag and he was using all the checkpoints. So he needed five or 10 minutes inside that checkpoint, whereas I was stopping for sort of one minute here, two minutes there um, to meet my mum. So anyway, after that, I took off from Penzance. I was like, right, okay, you know, feeling good now. Third place position, still early days. And um, to my surprise, every time I met crew, every time I saw Lloyd or Steve, um, I was being told, you're catching them. You're catching them. (laughs) And um, I was like, blimey, Um, am I going too fast then? Checking the race plan. Mm, I'm going slightly quicker than race plan, but, you know, not not dramatically different. Do I feel good? Yeah, I feel great. Um, and, um, I just kept going and then eventually I caught them. Um, where was that? Shortly after Senon, um, I came into Senon and saw Steve and he was like, they're a minute ahead and I could see their taillights. And then I caught up with them after that. And then we ran together for about an hour, um, or more, um, through Cape Cornwall. Um, and, um, right up to Pendine pretty much. And Pendine was where it changed for everyone really. Um, because, uh, Rob had been slowly starting to flag. I, I don't know whether he, he'd, he'd gone out a bit fast as well and was potentially, you know, struggling to keep up with Mark or whether he, you know, it was just something, you know, bad luck, something, some factor played mm-hmm. into it. Um, cause he was running really strong. Um, and, but, um, I think is he ends up in Robert Hayward. Sorry? Is that Robert Hayward? Uh Rob Forbes, Rob Forbes. Um so yeah, Rob Rob was struggling by the time he got to Pendine. Um and I later found out the next day that he was in quite a bad way. I think he was getting like heart palpitations or or something. Um and they had to get medics involved. Um I don't know what the, it's someone was saying about overconsumption of caffeine. I don't know. I don't know. Although I must say, if overconsumption of caffeine is possible, I can't believe I didn't hit that level because I drank <laughs> a shit load of caffeine. Two and a half liters of coffee, Coca-Cola, cups of tea, and a couple of caffeine tablets. Holy shit. Yeah, it's mental. <laughs> um, so um, anyway, so that was, that was the end of Rob's race, unfortunately. It was great meeting him, a really nice guy. And then um, I did a shoe change at uh Pandine because my I had my toe issue uh flaring up which people will know about from the uh track 24 episode that we recorded and I was like oh shit this cannot end my race please and I've been wearing um the Salomon Wild Crosses which are great grippy shoe I was really enjoying the grip but they're not very comfortable um and I changed to my ever reliable most favorite shoe ever 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 the Nike Pegasus Trail which is more like a road shoe than a trail shoe. But my God, it did, did the job. Super comfy, had no more issues with my feet. And I ran the whole of the rest of the race. I went through Zena, went through everything in these, you know, trail shoes, which people take the piss out because they're not trail shoes. Well, you know, they just did half the arc well, of that's, nutrition. That's an in, exactly, that's an endorsement and a half, yeah. isn't it? If you're listening, yeah. Nike. Yeah, so... Um, uh, and and I, Ferg was there actually when I did the shoe change. And um, as I said... He's like, how are you doing and everything? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Just my toe hurts. I feel great other than that. And he said, change shoes. He was like, um, this is the race director, Fergie. He said, comfort over grip every single day. Just make sure it's comfortable. And so I mm. took those words of advice, did the shoe change. It took five minutes or whatever. Anyway, that was the point where uh, Mark got away from me and I never caught him. I, w- I was following the whole way through Zeno. I could see his tail light, you know, sort of half a mile ahead. Um, by the time I got out of that section and, and into St. Ives and, and Hale, I was, you know, I was, I was feeling good. I knew I had a good, um, a good distance over, um, Dave, who then took on third place. I was, I was a couple of hours ahead of him. Um, but I also knew that it was unlikely I was going to tr- track Mark down. Um, but I kept, I kept the pace up. I managed to keep going. I ran the whole of the last bit on my own, obviously all in the dark and arrived back at, uh, the Eco Park, literally, as the sun came up, it was at sunrise exactly, um, 8 a.m., um, finished the race. 
So that last hill as well, the final hill, which yeah. I chatted about to Steve. Steve Wyatt walked me in at the top and we were chatting about, you know, better to finish at the blue bar or better to finish at the top of the big hill. And um, yeah, the big hill is is um, just a monster of a climb. It just goes on, for, well, certainly for me anyway, I think for everyone else. It went on forever and then had this massive step just near the top <laughs> where I was really kind of having to drag my legs up to get up to the top of it and then over the last step um what a what a beast of a finish mm. um so for you coming up there did you have your mind on the clock or was it just get to the end or i'm guessing it was just get to the end and get over the line um well, for the sub 20 hours yeah i mean mm. i'd been i mean i was in st ives at the checkpoint and saying to the guys the sub 20 hours is possible and they were like yeah we know and I was like, I don't know if I can do it, um, but I'm going to try. And so I ran with an intention of doing it. But I think think it was, by the time I got to Portreath, I was like, right, I, I was doing all the maths in my head. I was like, okay, so I think I need to average like seven and a half minute kilometers. Was that like 12 minute miles for that last section? And I was like, right, seven and a half minute kilometers. I know that on the flat bits, I can probably get down to six minute kilometers. But then there's like Sally's Bottom and stuff, which is going to be more like a 10 minute kilometer um you know is it doable and even as i got to the top of the hill coming down into port tower i looked at my watch and i think i had just under 10 minutes until 8 a.m and i was like right it's like a kilometer to go but i've got to climb up 100 meters and so i ran as much i ran pretty much the whole way through i think i put did a few steps but ran the whole way through port town and when i got to the bottom of the hill i was like jesus i need to get this hill in like three minutes or four minutes i was like it's not gonna happen oh. um like I just didn't have the strength left in the legs. Um, I mean, I've been pausing going up those big climbs around Portreath anyway, like pausing halfway just for five seconds, just to take, just to let some of the um, acid um, in the legs, you know, dissipate. And I was like, this is the biggest climb in the whole thing. It's not that steep. It's just very long. Um, it goes on forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so, yeah, you know, it, 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 I lost out on it, but then, you know, it's a reason to go back and do it again, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> isn't it bizarre of all the skills that you develop for trail running maths is the most important one <laughs> how much maths do we do on a run maths is important although um i must say shout out to my new watch the phoenix 7 phoenix 7 solar um it is an absolute monster for starters i started the race with 90 percent battery ran for 20 hours using the maximum um, accuracy GPS settings, which uses all the satellites and multiple frequencies as well. Finished the race, and I still had seven days of battery left on it. Um, <laughs> but not only that, it's got new functions, functions on it to do with waypoints. So you can kind of add in checkpoints and things like that and see what distance you are away from them. And oh, that's um, nice. So when you talk about sort of breaking the race down into sort of bite-sized chunks, I had that screen on most of the time when I wasn't navigating. So I'm, you're always looking at the next target, which is tends to be somewhere between 10 and 20 kilometers away maximum. And so you're always thinking, right, I've only got to run 15K and then I get to stop for a minute, do a drink, all this sort of stuff. Um, in addition to that, they've built in new functionality for ultra runners um, where you can um, record your checkpoint times so when you finish the activity, you can look back and go, oh, right, that's how long I spent in checkpoints. So um, I've got some data here, actually, that I prepared for this podcast. Just stuff that you. I've never been able to do before um, with the previous Phoenix. I don't, some of this functionality might be on older Phoenixes, and it might be on um, Coros's and uh, is Polar is Polar the other one? What's the other? Um, it's like the, the Sunto. Is it, is the Sunto, Sunto, that's it, yeah. Um, so, um, I can say, can I just say, I had no warning that you were going to prepare anything. This is raising our bar to a new level, <laughs> preparing for the podcast. <laughs> I did some actual preparation. Um, so here in shame. total time was, um, 20 hours. Oh, two, I ran for 15 hours. Exactly. Cause it totally knows when you're running and when you're walking. So 15 hours of running in that, I mean, some of that running might be questionable well, in terms of its, do uh, you think. Some of those climbs are so steep, though. Do you think it actually perceives that you're standing still? Because I've seen that on other watches in the past. 
some of those climbs are just your, your vertical speed is is every, everything and your your lateral speed is nothing mm. I, possibly i mean I, you know, it would need testing but like i say this watch has got and the sort of next generation of GPS accuracy built into it. So it's multi-frequency and multiple satellites. It's, it kills the battery, but the battery on it, luckily, is a monster. Um, Nuclear. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I ran for 15 hours exactly, walked for 4 hours 18, and that means the remainder, which is 43 minutes, um, was idle or not moving. Now, I recorded, as I say, I recorded my time in checkpoints, and that came out as 20 minutes. So actual checkpoint stops, which includes sort of refueling, like changing water bottles, changing shoes, um, taking electrolyte tablets. Basically, any time I was with my mum was 20 minutes only. So that means there was a further 20 minutes or 23 minutes of idle time where I wasn't moving. Now, that would be made up. Some of it would be falling over. Um... Some of it possibly could be, as you described, a, an extremely steep bit of climbing where you're sort of dropping down off a big rock and, you, you know, you're not actually, horizontally, you're not appearing to move from the perspective of a satellite. Um, some of it will be stopping to wee, um, but I would estimate the majority of it would be stopping trying to wee because I had issues with my bladder um, for the whole of the second half of the race, despite taking on quite a lot of fluids and needing to piss, I just could not piss. And it was really annoying. And I kept on stopping. At times, I was stopping every five or 10 minutes and just standing in the dark on my own on a piece of headland, trying to piss with a full bladder and nothing was coming out. So um, if I want to get... Try standing by a stream. Yeah. If I, if I want to get sub 20... I, mate, honestly, I was closing my eyes listening to the sea. I was picturing toilets <laughs> and flowing water. I was drinking whilst standing there with my willy hanging out. And still nothing came. Um, praying no rumblers would come around the corner. Mate, I think that was unlikely uh, at that time in the morning and what places I was doing it. Um, so uh, if I, so if I, if I want to get sub 20 hours in the future, I just need to fix the bladder problem and I'll shave probably a quarter of an hour off the time. Um so uh oh changing batteries would be one of the other things as well because i did stop for probably a couple of minutes to change torch batteries um here's some more stats for you my average moving pace seven minutes a kilometer which i think is just under 11 minutes a mile and um i got to the halfway point in eight hours 34 which i was quite surprised about i didn't realize that at the time i think my timings had it as just under nine hours but that was Minak at eight hours 34 so it means the second half of the race took 11 and a half hours or just under 11 and a half hours. Um, probably partly because it's dark. Um, and, the, I do, you know, you just run so much quicker in the light, I think. I, I really does well, slow me down plus, the dark. Plus, after, really after, after Cape Cornwall, I say it starts to get, more technical again you know you've got you, you, mm. you after minute we, we spoke about this uh, for night but uh, um minac so that point at the halfway point minac to um land's end becomes runnable again but then after um cape cornwall it starts to get more technical again yeah um, well minac to cape cornwall is all pretty runnable like i really like all mm. that section of, like after senna and i yeah, think it's, it's a great. nice run yeah um, it's like you say, it's um, the, um, it's the pending to St. Ives bit is dreadful. And then of course it gets run over again after that. And then you've just got that last bit to deal with. I think that was gutting cause it wasn't gutting, but it was hard moving over that terrain so slowly knowing how runnable it all was, mm. but just not being able to run it. It just felt very, very long and laborious, um, simply because it was all runnable and, 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 and nothing there. So, um, yeah, but it is, it's, a, it's an. It, it does level out. And then, of course, you've got that sting in the tail that we talked about. So you've got all that runnable stuff. And then, bang, um, just when you think it's 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 over, it really, really isn't. And you've got to dig deep again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've um, you've had problems with nutrition in the past or, like, keeping food down, that sort of thing. So did, what happened this time? Presumably that didn't flare up or, or at least not, not, not fatally. No, I... It, well, it's one of those things that when you were aware of it, isn't it? I've tried a lot more food stuffs this year, just running, trying different things. Uh, the one that I thought was a banker went out the window straight away. I've been using savory Huel on my 20 mile runs, kind of coming back home after 10 miles, 
wolfing down, you know, some, some nutrition and then heading back out for another 10. And, um, it was absolutely safe as houses. I, I, I'd have bet the farm on it. And then, um, I started taking it on board and it was the most unpalatable, disgusting thing going into my mouth ever. And I really like it normally, but oh, there goes, there goes Huel as our sponsor. Yeah. Sorry, Huel <laughs> screwed the pooch there. Um, <laughs> normally really, really nice, but not for an ultra for me anyway. And, um, yeah, so that went out, but we, we learned from previous years that you have to have a, a wide selection of foods because those things, like I say, that you absolutely bank on suddenly become the most vile thing ever or upset your gut. So I switched to pretty much, um, broccoli, um, sweet potatoes, the sweet potato wraps actually went out another banker that I've loved, but on that, on those cold conditions, the, the bread of the wrap was too much. So I prepared a load of cooked veg and that went into a big flask with a, a spork. And, um, I was, I was chomping away on that, um, coffee, but then coffee became an issue because I was feeling, I was feeling my gut was very acidic. It was on the edge of not being happy. Um, and so I couldn't take that on. And then I went on to trail mix as well, because it, it I would say as the race went on, my food stuffs got smaller in pieces as, as, as we went. So it started off with big chunky stuff. And then as we went through, I was finishing on the really small bits, like the energy bars and uh, fruit and nut mix and things like that. And just lots and lots of nuts, um, just shoveling those in because that's all I could deal with. And of course, uh, uh, where was it? Pendine. I got the poles out. Finally, I took the poles off the crew and, and then my hands were busy. And I, I knew from uh, chatting to previous friends like uh, Heather Pritchard, North Coast Challenge and things like that. Once you've got poles in your hand, your nutrition and fluids become an issue because you, your hands are busy. And all of a sudden you don't want to break your rhythm to, to take food. So mm. I was fighting a double demon of knowing that I was starting to get empty on food, but not wanting to stop because I wanted to get to St. Ives. And so things like fruit and nut were great because I could just take a handful and, and, and shovel them into my mouth. And my crew were amazing. Literally at one point, Lou was pushing um, peanut butter and jam sandwiches into my mouth, just piece by piece, feeding me like a child because I had a, an absolute moment at Zena. I came up those final steps at Zena and um, I was out. My, my mind was gone. I was all over the place. My legs so were- So final steps where, sorry? Um, coming into Zena. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Those you know, steps, steps are delightful, uh, house they? on the corner. Oh my God, perfect. Just just what you need at that distance. Um, and I was, my legs just weren't controllable. They were going, They were going left and right while I was trying to go forward. That was the problem. Um, it was like, uh, just a, a, a shopping trolley with bad steering. Um, so yeah, that, that was a real low point. I was like you, at, you know, like we all are at that point or some point in the race, I was ready to jack it all in. I thought, well, that this. point, um, for me was actually one of the highlights of my race. Weirdly, I, I obviously struggled up the steps into Zenic because it is, there's a lot of steps, but I got to the top, Steve Wyatt was stood there shining a torch down on me. I joked, I said, is the lift not working or something like that? Um, <laughs> got up there. My mum forced some Coca-Cola into my mouth and Steve gave this sort of like, it was like a, it was like a Braveheart style um, speech oh, like to me. any given Sunday kind of thing. On, yeah, on top of the steps. He was like, this is the point. This is where the race is broken and all this kind of thing. And I just drank the Coke, stood up. I went, God, I love Coke. And then just ran off and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the most memorable parts of the race. Um, it was really good, and I, I, I actually was fine through that through that bit. I'd had this weird bit leading up to there where I said, because I said to them, I was like, I, I was waiting to get to the to Pultheris Beach, which is, I guess, about five miles before Zena, and um, mm. I know it because we camp there a lot, and we walk down to the beach, and there's a huge, great hill there next to it, which the coast path goes right over the top of. And so I know the coast path around there. There's one of those big clapper granite bridges, and then it goes up the hill. And I'd been waiting for it because I know it's a horrible climb up this hill. And then the terrain afterwards is pretty horrible as well. But then as I got closer and closer to Zeno, I was like, where, where is this place? I must have been over it. And, and I had, but I just, it was so dark <laughs> and so, you know, samey that I just hadn't realized that I'd done this whole section. Yeah. So I was a bit confused as well, but um i yeah i'm on the mo for the most part enjoyed all that section I think the only low point i really had was at the start as i already mentioned 
and I, 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 for both years I've done this race, I felt pretty low as I've got to, um, uh, got through hail, um, just before the dunes, uh, cause it still feels like a long way there. You know, you've got all these dunes to deal with all the North cliffs and then that shitty bit at the end. And so I was a little bit low there, but, um, as soon as I started moving again, I was fine. I managed to get lost in the dunes for a minute. Oh, did you? I saw Steve, uh, Steve Wyatt, just at the... I, I stopped with my crew just to change shoes again, I think it was, just before um, Hail Estuary, or just after Hail Estuary. And uh, Steve was there, and uh, he came over for a chat. And uh, and then I was about to uh, set off, and I just thought, I don't know if I have to run along the... Because the, the coast path is is defined on, on, on in one way, and the GPX is defined another way sometimes. So I, I just checked if I had to run in front of some buildings or behind some buildings. And I checked with one of the marshals. And then Steve walked over me in a kind of like a bollocking stride. He just walked towards me and he went, Jay, you're just asking, di- you, you just asking directions here. I was like, I, I, I don't know if I have to go in front or behind. He went, just run, <laughs> just run. I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go run now. Um, and off I went. But he was, he was brilliant. He popped up everywhere. Um, and I don't know, and there might be two Steve Wyatt's, who knows, because he was everywhere. That is a possibility. He did seem to be all over the place. It's a bit like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. It's kind of like all over the... (laughs) Steve the Grey or Steve the White? (laughs) Um, Maybe it's Steve the White. Well, this is a shout out now, Steve, because I've asked you, I've asked you before, and I know you're not a technology person. I know you run with the Casio and all that shit, if you eschew it all. But I have asked you on WhatsApp, come on the show. So that's I'm publicly outing you now to come on the show. He's probably, he's probably not even got the means to listen to a podcast, Jay. So uh, he doesn't have a phone, be I don't think. Futile attempt. But we'll we'll get the message out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was um, epic. What an epic epic weekend. Um, so just on nutrition, um, since we covered yours, I I because I, I've nutrition's a big one for me. Um, I think it's one of the key uh, secrets or not even a secret really to success in these races is certainly key to not failing. Um, because we find time and time again, that DNFs are caused by gastric issues, inability to keep food down, sick, whatever dehydration as a result of the above. So I really, I just think it's so important to, to, to dial that in and to understand what your body needs when it needs it. And it, you know, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I've been on that journey now for well, about 18 months, um, with this low carb approach. And this, I can very proudly say was the first race where everything clicked together and worked exactly as I expected it to. So, um, low carb. So what was your strategy? What, what, how did you take it on? Basically the strategy is to fuel as little as possible. Um, because by minimizing the amount of fuel that I take on, I then minimize the risk of getting any gastric issues. Um, and as a sort of, um, you know, secondary part to that, the strategy was not to take any solid food on as well. Um, because I think solid food increases the risk that you're going to get gastric issues. Whereas you can keep it fluids, then it lowers the risk. The, Mm -hmm. the route to get there was the, is the, is the, is the low carb approach, which I've been doing for about 18 months. So the idea being that you reduce the amount of carbohydrates in your diet, you periodize it. So you're only taking them on when you're doing big efforts and when you're not you're resting you're 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 basically ketogenic um and that just trains your body to use fat as a primary fuel source also fasted running as well um running you know without having any breakfast um and it just means in these long drawn out races and the longer the better really for this kind of approach you can rely on your fat reserves to fuel you and all you need nutrition for is just to keep your muscle glycogen topped off. Um, you know, if you if you're climbing up hills, you are going to start metabolizing. Um, yeah, because you're moving through the zones of your heart, aren't yeah. you? You're switching from aerobic to anaerobic. Yeah, exactly. So you do need to take on some fuel. I mean, you can't you can do it with that, but you'd have to do very very low effort, very slow up the hills. Um, mm. So um, you know, the only reason I'm taking on fuel then is just to keep that topped off, so that my legs. Um, you know, maintain their strength. And so that's what I did. So um, I think I mentioned on one of the pre, pre-ramble podcast episodes that I would only consume around about 1,600 calories throughout the whole race. Well, I consumed exactly 1,600 calories throughout the whole race. 
Um, all of it in the form of um, high eight powder, which is basically the same as tailwind powder, but cheaper sugary powder with um, electrolytes in it. Um, didn't take on any solid fuel. Um, didn't take any gels. It was all just in, mixed into drinks. And besides that, it was just water, coffee, a bit of Coca-Cola and three paracetamol. <laughs> and you couldn't piss. I couldn't piss. With all that fluid. That's yeah. mad. Yeah, That's yeah. pretty amazing, though, to be able to do it all on liquids. And like you say, the simplification with you know, removing the potential GI issues, which, like you say, do take out a huge amount of runners. Mm. Um, it's one less problem to solve, I guess, isn't it? Although you do put an awful lot of effort into you're, you're very good at being studious and, and meticulous in, in analyzing uh, your training. Yeah. I don't think people could do it willy nilly. You do you do put a lot of um, effort into making sure you're ready to run, which is obviously borne out by your results. So um, fair play, mate. Absolutely. I think I, according, I, I I didn't measure what was going in because it was so random and, and I don't, really didn't care so long as I wasn't hungry. But I mm. think Strava told me I consumed 17,000 calories. Oh, you burned 17,000. Burned 17,000. Yeah. Beggy Pete. Blimey, that is a um, serious calorie burn. Good Lord. I know. I'm quite hungry now. Stra so Strava told me that I burned 12,500. However, I think that figure's too high because um, I, I normally run with a chest strap um, heart rate monitor um, because wrist-based heart rate monitors have never worked for me. Anyway, I, don't, I wouldn't run with a chest strap during a race because I don't particularly care that much about my heart rate. I can do it all on perceived mm. effort. But I did leave the wrist heart rate monitor on, so it recorded heart rate the whole way. But the recordings are wildly out. I mean, I think it gave me an average heart rate of 166 beats per minute for like 20 hours, which is insane. Um, it's impossible, in fact, I would say. Um, and a maximum heart rate of 196, which uh, my, heart, my max heart rate is about 196. But there's no way I got up to 196 during that race. So needless to say, uh, my Garmin suggests that I have a little bit of rest now because it thinks that I was holding 166 BPM for the better part of a whole day. <laughs> yeah, it's in, insane how um, how the metrics kind of look at them afterwards and you realize that they can't be possible. Yeah, I mean, measures. it's a bit annoying really because it would be nice to have accurate um, heart rate readings from um, from a race like that, but I, it can, I'm only going to get it wearing a chest strap and that's not a good idea. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, uh, it's... Um... It would be interesting to see a, a, a proper kind of study on trail runners because obviously everything is treadmill and, and labs and stuff like that. But um, yeah, the, the stuff that we put ourselves through must be must just blow some scientists' minds in terms of what's what's possible and, and what we actually do. Mm. It's quite an amazing thing. So um, you're signing up for next year, right? Ah, well, um, no. I like my marriage. I like my wife. Uh, <laughs> that's me done on the arc, I think. Um, <laughs> um, I don't like her. I love her. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's kind of me done for the arc. So, um, I will crew or, um, volunteer or something like that, but I kind of three times now and one successful completion. And I'm, I'm happy as Larry with that. I really am. Um, it was when I started trail running at the age of 42, I think it was, um, the arc was pie in the sky. It was mythical, um, superhuman, uh, just beyond my wildest dreams. And, and it's, it's, it's allowed me to raise my running bar so far in, in just trying to finish. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's, it's opened up challenges that I never thought I, UTMB this year, you know, insane just to be in the same town as that race. Um, it's just raised my, my, expectations and, and and i've had to kind of up my game so um a finish w was always good enough for me um and, and i'm almost i i've had very mixed feelings over the last sort of day for all my friends that that didn't get a result this year and that's felt um yeah quite um bittersweet i guess is the best way of putting it obviously i'm, I'm so pleased that i've done it but i've also seen some friends dreams not not come out this year and that's hard so, yeah, that's it for me, really. Um, nothing, nothing left personally to prove, and that's all that matters to me. Well, I mean, for the people who didn't make it round, the good news is you can always do it again. Um, it's not a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, unfortunately, it happens every year. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there's not an easy way out of it. 
Um, there's always another chance to have a crack at it. Though, I mean, what I will say is this year, um, you know, the the conditions were really good. I mean, they weren't perfect. Um, it it wasn't. We were sort of looking at the weather in the lead up, thinking, "Oh my God, it's going to be warm. There's going to be no wind. It's going to be clear. There's going to be no rain. There'll be no mud." Yeah, um, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen. I mean, there, there were certainly sections that were as good as I've ever seen it in the winter. I mean, the whole North Cliffs bit um, was yeah. was written really good, Nick, because partly because it was windy, I think it dried it out. But there was sort of mizzle the whole way through the first 12 hours or so or six hours or so wasn't there and Mm. sections that are known to be very muddy were just as muddy as they normally are you know you're knee deep in it kind of thing and the warmth wasn't as much of a benefit as i anticipated although i'm sure people well we've done it in cold conditions as well but um it was hard to regulate temp i find it really hard to regulate my body temperature i was constantly taking hat off gloves off you know changing layers I find it really hard to to keep a good temp this year. So I think that added its own problems. Well, well, I think um, it's a lot harder if you're walking and then running and then walking and then running because mm. obviously the action of running really does keep you a lot warmer. You just pump your blood's just pumping faster. Um, whereas you know you take the pace off and then you cool down quickly. And obviously, if you stop, it's even faster than that. Um, I, I actually did all right on temperature. I ran in a single layer, merino, long sleeve top, the whole way until I got to hail. Um, and then when I got to hail, I was like, hmm, I think just to be on the safe side, I should probably put a jacket on now because I don't want to start getting cold at this late stage in the race. So I did put a jacket on and, and the temperature was fine with that on. I didn't get too hot. I, I tend to be someone that overheats far more easily than I get cold. That's it's pretty amazing that you did that whole thing without a jacket until yeah. hail. Yeah, That's, that blows my mind a little bit. Merino wool. I mean, you know, it's uh, an incredible material. Um, not vegan, obviously, but very just an incredible material. I mean, you know, it, it's you know when it gets wet with sweat, it doesn't make you cold, um, but it's also breathable, so you don't get too hot either. Um, it's sort of space age. Well done, sheep. Yeah, well, there's sustainable options as well with that, although not vegan, like you say. There's, there are better ways of doing it. So hopefully um, that will come to the front. Um, yeah, I kind of, I, I ran in my um, weird Patagonia airshed uh, nanopuff thing, which is insulated on the front and the sleeves and, and not on the back. Uh, and that worked pretty well, actually. But And, and again, just a zip on the front to, to dump the heat when I needed to. But mm. I did have to, uh, to change the, the hat and the hands quite a lot. Oh, um, shoe wise, um, kind of covered yours and stuff. And then I just changed between Peregrine STs and, and my Hocker Evos. That was pretty much my race. Yeah. Um, I started recently. in, um, I started in the Peregrines, changed to the, uh, my Saucony and Dolphin Speed road shoes for the Penzance bit. And then I was onto the Salomons and then eventually the Nikes. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it need it needed some different pairs as well, just with the the amount of water that was ingressing into them and stuff, um, and socks as well. I like, did, I I mean, uh, if you're going to do a sock, sock change, you might as well yeah. do a shoe change, you know. And I I did change yeah. socks every time, and also reapplied um, like chafing cream and things like that because obviously um, my toes have been somewhat of an Achilles heel, if you excuse the messy analogy um in the past <laughs> and um i think just taking time to clean i was using wet wipes to clean my feet not completely obviously that's, that's impossible they're still dirty now um but uh using wet wipes to clean and then applying some um chafing stuff and then fresh socks and everything and uh, yeah i'll definitely do that again yeah I, I had my crew slapping on the trench uh every shoe change um, just to keep that water off my feet. Bizarrely, so I had a long soak in the bath yesterday, finally made it into the tub. And um, I was in there for a very long time. I may have even fallen asleep. And then when I got out, I went to dry my feet. <laughs> and I thought, my hands were like prunes, of course, and my feet were perfect. And I, and I was thinking, oh, because I didn't wash my feet. I haven't even turned the zinc cream off my feet yet. So it was still going, so 12 hours after the race, it was still on my feet. Um, <laughs> I had some weird thing of... Uh, I got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night after the race and my wife came in and found me unconscious in the shower tray with blood coming from the back of my head, <laughs> just passed out. Um, oh my God. So I've got a egg lump on the top of my cranium. 
um, and, and a very sore scalp, which Barkley, the Labrador, keeps coming over and just inspecting for me. But I had to bat him off. Um, yeah, so it was a, a strange after effect. But um, yeah, feet were feet were were brilliant this year. And and shout out to John and Tonya from our Fix Your Feet episode. Um, Fixing Your Feet book was in the van with my crew. And I kept kind of looking at it accusingly as if they should be reading it the whole time, not drinking beer and coffee. And They were probably thinking about the next restaurant they were going to go to. It really was. It was a food tour of Cornwall for them. <laughs> Although they gave me some awesome eggy bread thing in um, vegan eggy bread. But um, some vegan eggy, eggy bread thing in St. Ives. And it was like manna from heaven. It was so nice. It was so nice. So I sat in a chair, a lawn chair in St. Ives train station car park with all these normal people going past looking at this scabby runner with a ginger beard and, and his feet in a chair with people tending to his every need, eating eggy bread. It's, you know, hmm. the moment, living the dream there. Quite a, uh, quite an image. You went through all the kind of areas of population with just, I'm guessing, crew out. But a lot of us go through kind of the, the urban conversations with, with, with lots of normal i'm going to say normal people because we're all weird um normal people out there who have no idea what's going on and they just look at you as if you've landed from another planet which you kind of must look like you are but um it's it's always a weird moment for me when you run past normal folk and you're trail running especially in a race because yeah you're just an alien yeah the the my timings the the way um, that works is really the only place you see normal people is in uh, Port 11 um, because mm. everything up to there is too remote really for anyone to be there um, and, and during the daytime and everything after there is night right through till the end so you don't see anyone in St. Ives apart from mud crew people um, same in Hale and, and so on so it's yeah it's pretty pretty lonely don't I, I what must be interesting going through St. Ives and Hale sort of on a normal Saturday um, with people. Well, on Saturday afternoon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> people shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Herding their children away from the strange people running through with sticks in their hands. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Cool. Um, well, well, I um, guess that's it. Yeah, shout out. I don't think we've done it already. Shout out to Mark Derbyshire, who won it, um, the men's one. Um, oh. Because Just, he's what, at... 1915 hours? 19, I think it's 1913 um, he set a new course record by an hour and a half, um, which is just phenomenal. Um, I uh, if, it's, it's annoying because uh, if he hadn't run, then of course I would have set a new course record. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't need that target on your back. <laughs> um, it would have been nice to have that target on back. But um, it, just incredible. I mean, it's amazing watching him work. Um, you know, I think he. He's obviously experienced and is, you know, just able to find other gears that people don't have. Um, very confident runner, really nice guy as well. Um, it was great get, getting to know him and Dave um, and Rob. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's that's an, uh, that's an, uh, an incredible time. I mean, Kim Collison's course record was considered to be pretty damn good, and to take that much off it and to get so close to 19 hours on a hundred mile route like that, which most of it's in, in darkness is, um, it's just something else. It's nearly 18,000 feet of elevation, isn't it? Something around that. Yeah. Um, yeah. My watch, and, and, my watch logged uh, five, six meters, 5,600. Yeah. That's about 18,000 feet, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. I can never do new money. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I checked some social feeds this morning of, of kind of people that around that I was thinking about and, and, uh, one of them being Ellis, of course, with his uh, breathing issues. And, and it looks he's going to get checked out by the doctors. But um, yeah, I don't think any long lasting effects. I think it was just one of those days for him. Um, and and uh, other medical emergencies around the course all look to have taken care of themselves over, over the course of time. Some broken bones, well, dislocated bones, I think, and, and the bumps and scratches and, and the norm. There were quite a few breathing issues for people this year. Um, don't know why, but um, that comes to the fore. And one case of wind blindness, I read. So um, is that, it sounds like everyone's safe. Is wind blindness as exactly the affliction that it sounds like it is? Or um, I think it's the same thing that hit a couple of years ago. I know John Mergler, our friend John, went down with that last time. Um, and Colin Bath went down with it. So there's seven or eight runners last time. So, yeah, I think it's the, it's the lack of blood sugar. And somebody's going to correct me on this, and please do. 
uh, and the cold temperatures from the wind. So it's like a wind chill for the eye, which which reduces the sugar, I believe, um, and causes temporary blindness. So, yeah, that's not, uh, not going to be very helpful. No, not on that coast path. It's just one wrong step, isn't it? And it's all over. And, and it was interesting. I went through, um, I was going through after Mausel, so just on that gnarly section. And um, we've run that together and I've run it many, many times on my own. And, and you kind of know that you can move over it. And there are a couple of chaps that I passed who were scrambling over. It looked like they're in a real mess. And, and I guess running over those rocks and stuff, you do get an element of confidence, especially if you know your shoes well and you know what can grip and what will slide. Because sometimes you will just slide inevitably and you just work that into your rhythm, don't you? You know that you're going to slope mm. off that rock a little bit mm. and that's accepted. Um, so you choose your footpath very carefully. But these two guys behind, as I passed them, one of them went, oh, maybe we're treating this thing with a bit too much respect. And I think that it stuck with me, those words. And I think that can be a thing of it's the practice of, of going out on those horrible sections and, and building confidence to move over them. And it might go wrong and, and, and a rock might move. That happened. I can't remember where it was early on. Somebody stood on a rock that moved and that was it. And then I came to St. Lois Beach and the same thing again. There were three or four people stood there looking at that ocean of big boulders going, where the fuck is the coast path? Where's mm. that gone? And um, so I said, do you, do you, it's there. Do you, want me to, do you want me to go ahead? And And so we were kind of, just rock hopping there but i said just watch out this beach is um for anyone not familiar with it basically looks like a lot of dragons have laid eggs all over the beach and you're expected to walk on these dragon eggs it's like something out of a a sci-fi movie um but (laughs) and it's weird it's weird you only got to go about 100 meters over them but it takes ages because you're sort of balancing on top of egg-shaped rocks yep and and they they all look walkable and then you start to get closer to them and you realize that there's different angles on them uh they're wet um you need to land on the and then the dragons start hatching <laughs> you just hear this cracking noise <laughs> Can that, you that speeds you up uh, <laughs> um so yeah that was it, it, i think you do need to recce the, i i personally i know people don't but i think um it the, the benefits from wrecking this race are enormous it just gives you that confidence to move when maybe you need it sometimes Anyway, that's my two penneth. Cool. Um, shout out to everyone, all the Mud Crew Archangels, the Mud Crew race organizers, um, all of the runners for being so nice and so lovely. Everybody that came along to clap. Um, if you didn't make it across the finish line this year, I'm so sorry, but keep trying if, if your relationships and everything will survive it. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's worth persevering with personally. Yep. Cool. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. And, um, oh, we're going to get some new episodes coming up soon, aren't we? That's a uh, priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Cause we've been a bit slack, bring, haven't bring we? With all the training now. and everything. So we've got guests lined oh, up yeah. and we're, we're ready to, to leap into 2022 with a bit more vigor. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks Brilliant. everyone. Well, done again, uh, mate. Awesome running. Cheers. And well done to you as well, Jay. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.